Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to Breaking Down Bad Books, a podcast analyzing trashy bestsellers from a literary perspective. And today we're looking at chapters 11, 12, 13, 14, 15 of The Da Vinci Code. I actually don't know how many we'll be looking at, but I think it's, I think that's roughly right. We'll see. Let's just start chatting and we'll see how far we get, huh? I don't know why I started talking like that. Okay. So where we left off, we found out about Silas's backstory. Apparently he became a ghost. Everyone was pointing at him and laughing at him and talking to him, but he thought he was transparent. I I think there's some deep seated issues going on with Silas. I think he's internalized his outward appearance quite a fair bit. It's like that episode of Buffy where the girl that got ignored at school turned into a ghost and then she started killing her classmates. Classic. We've all been there. So Silas is going through that. Sophie Niveau, she came and interrupted Fasha's interrogation of Langdon and she's concocted this voicemail plan. The the greatest plan she could think of. Call in for a message. There's a voicemail for you from the embassy through their messaging system. It's actually her answering machine at home. So this is a storyline. If they were to ever like remake the Da Vinci Code for the modern times, meaning like 20 years after it came out, they wouldn't be able to do this at all. No one has answering machines anymore. No one has a landline. Anyway, so let's get back into it. We start chapter 11 with Bazufash being livid because Sophie's just told him that the code written on the floor by Jacques Sunier, the curator, in invisible ink, is actually a numeric joke. He's like, what? You're telling me that this code, it's some kind of mathematical prank? And Fash is like, oh, the goal of this woman, because we also found out he's a huge sexist. Sophie says, this code is simplistic to the point of absurdity. Jacques Sunier must have known we would see through it immediately. Okay, then why would he have done that, Soph? Why would he have done that? And so the <laughs> decryption is just one, one, two, three, five, eight, thirteen, twenty-one. And Fash is like, ah, dipshit, all you did was put the numbers in increasing order. Like, that's so dumb. I could have done that, Soph. I could have done that. And Soph is like, exactement. <laughs> Actually, she says exactly because, well, Dan Brown doesn't write in French. She says exactement. And Fash is like, okay, where are you going with this, Dal? He says, you need to do some splaining, love. And he shoots a look at Langdon, who's still receiving the voice memo, and he's looking ashen. And Fash is thinking, huh, must have gotten some bad news. And Sophie says, Captain, the sequence of numbers you have in your hand happens to be one of the most famous mathematical progressions in history. Yeah, okay, everything's got to be famous. And Fash is like, 
wait a minute, since when were mathematical progressions a category for fame? And she says, it's the Fibonacci sequence. Uh, a progression in which each term is equal to the sum of the two preceding terms. Who gives a shit, Saif? So some mathematician called Leonardo Fibonacci, he created this sequence of numbers in the 13th century. And she says, obviously, there can be no coincidence that all of the numbers Sunya wrote on the floor belong to Fibonacci's famous sequence. And so Fash is like, okay, all right. If that's the case, why would he have done this? And she shrugs. She goes, I don't know what it means. He says, what does it mean? And she says, nothing. That's the point. It's a simplistic cryptographic joke. Yeah, hilarious. A joke's not meant to be funny. Why, why would Sonia have written that on the floor and been like, this is hilarious. I'd be more worried about the bullet that's in his stomach. And this stupid Soph, like while I'm on it, he writes PS fine Robert Langton and she thinks that's a secret clue to her because those are her initials, even though they're not really her initials. We'll get to that shortly. But like, she's like, oh, he mustn't have had time to write out my name completely. So he just, you know, wrote PS. Okay, but he's got time to rearrange the Fibonacci sequence and scribble that out. Why would he do that? This is the stupidest book, which I love. God, I'm hooked, but I hate it. And Fash is like, I hope you've got a better explanation than that, doll. And she's like, well, she does have a point. She's like, I'm just here for the numbers, dude. I'm not telling you the motivation behind the numbers. That's your job, Fash. And she says, I just thought you might have liked to have known that Sunye might be playing games with you, but apparently not. I'll just inform the director of cryptography that you no longer need our services. And then she turns on a heel and she marches off the way she'd come. And Fash watched her disappear into the darkness thinking, is she out of her mind? And then Fash looks at Langdon, who's still on the phone. <laughs> and he thinks, oh, the US embassy, what assholes!" And then we get the backstory. There's always backstory, backstory on everything. Apparently, Fash has a lot of opinions about the US Embassy. You wouldn't have thought that. Kind of random for him to be so passionate about something like that. But yeah, he is. So, Bazoo Fash despised many things, but few drew more wrath than the US Embassy. Like, his number one nemesis is the US Embassy. Like, what? what, Are you kidding me? So, apparently, Fash and the ambassador locked horns regularly over shared affairs of state. Their most common battleground being law enforcement for visiting Americans. Almost daily, DCPJ arrested American people doing, doing the wrong thing. You know, students with drugs, US businessmen soliciting underage prostitutes. Like, that's a big one. And he's annoyed that the US are able to extradite guilty citizens back to the US. So, okay, well, I mean, that's life, babe. Like, I'm sorry, that, that's just what happens with diplomatic incidents like this. But the, the, the you know what, the um, underage prostitutes one, I would want to circle back to that and be like, can we follow up with some sort of punishment once they're extradited? I, I don't know. I don't know. But maybe that is kind of something that needs to be addressed. And so apparently his feud with the American embassy is so wide and well known. <laughs> a magazine or a newspaper, something called Paris Match, had run a cartoon depicting Fash as a police dog trying to bite an American criminal, but unable to reach because it was chained to the US embassy. Okay, so that cartoon feels a little on the nose, but also like, what's the Paris match? Just running a story about how some policeman has a feud with an embassy. Of all the things going on in the world, that's what they're focusing on. Crazy to me. So then Langdon hangs up the phone and Fash is like, uh, you all right? You're looking pretty green. 
And Langdon's like, ah, someone got in an accident, a friend of mine. I'll need to fly home first thing in the morning. And Fash is like, oh yeah, sorry to hear that. Do you want to sit down or something? And he goes, no, I'd actually um, like to find the restroom. And so Fash is like, yeah, yeah, okay, let's go to the restroom. And he says, all right, the restrooms are back towards the curator's office. And Langdon goes, actually, um, hate to correct you, but there's other bathrooms just down the other end of the Grand Gallery, like just there. And he says, I believe there's a much closer restroom at the end. And Fash is like, oh, well, fuck my drag, right? Like, okay, then let's go to those bathrooms. Like, okay, Robert Langdon just memorizing the floor plan of the Louvre. Like, I know he's got a good memory, but he's memorized the bathroom situation. And Fash is like, well, do you want me to come with you? And he's like, well, that'd be a little bit gay. So he goes, nah, no thanks. I just need a few minutes alone. And so, okay, so they're already two thirds down the Grand Gallery. And so the bathroom's at the end of the hall. And Fash is like, okay, well, go enjoy yourself. And he doesn't go with him. He's like, it's a dead end. He's not going anywhere. I'm not comfortable with him walking down the Grand Gallery all by himself towards the bathrooms. Like, what? He's not going to steal a painting, Fash. Like, what are you worried about? But he's like, yeah, okay, you, you go sort yourself out. And I'm like, all right, well, obviously he'll just wait there near the dead body and wait for him to come back, right? No. Fash says, I need to return to Mr. Sonier's office for a moment. Please come find me directly when you're done. There is more we need to discuss. So you're just, you're just going to go back to the start of the Grand Gallery and go into the office. And so just leave Robert Langdon to walk past the dead body alone, past the murder victim that you think he murdered. That hardly seems like good police work. And like, if you're already walking that way, then why wouldn't you have just said to him, actually, I'm the policeman here, I'm in charge, and I'd prefer it if you used the bathrooms that were in the direction that I'm currently walking. Oh, I smell a stunt. Dan Brown's pulling the rug out from under me. This is a ruse. A ruse is afoot. So they split up. Like, I know, I know Langdon's got a chip on him or something. They know where he is. But like, it just hardly seems like good police work to just let him wander the Grand Gallery all by himself. Not great for Louvre security as well, by the way, which is paper thin. But Fash is pissed. So he goes back into the curator's office and he says, who gave the approval to let Sophie Nouveau into this building? which I think, again, is pretty sexist. You could have called her Agent Nouveau, but no, he says Sophie Nouveau. Like, okay, she has a title, but whatever. And Colette, he's like, well, she told the guards outside she'd broken the code, so we just, you know, sent her right in. And he goes, well, where is she? And he goes, well, I thought, I thought she was with you. And Fash is like, she left. Didn't you see her walk past? And they're like, nah. And so then Fash is like, oh, oh well, doesn't think anything of that. Okay, so like we know that she actually doubled back and is going to go meet Tom Hanks in the bathroom. But like, how does she do that? She just like, it was clear to us. It was made clear to us that she walked the way she'd come in disappearing into the darkness. So then did she like, just like hold her body up against a wall, like in a Scooby-Doo cartoon waiting for Fash to walk past. And then she loops, loops back to the end bathrooms. Is she hiding behind a statue or something? Or is she pretending to be a statue? Or is she just walking on her little tippy toes, walking past them? I don't know. Somehow she got the slip on Detective Fash, the man with the great instincts. So not caring about how Sophie Nouveau just disappeared into thin air. He's like, all right, well, where's Langdon? Like, okay, Langdon's in the bathroom. But they're looking at him being monitored. And the red dot on the plans for the Louvre indicates that he's in the toilet public. And Fash is like, oh, okay, good. So 
he's in the bathroom. I'm like, oh God, yes, he's in the bathroom. And he says, I've got a phone call to make. Be damn sure the restroom is the only place Langdon goes. And then that's the end of that chapter. We go to chapter 12 and there's Langdon. He's, oh, guess where he's going? He's, oh, he's going to the bathroom. He's trudging to the end of the green gallery because there's a bathroom there. I'm like, all right, we get it. But no, all right, we've got to hear all about how he discovers the bathroom. Okay, at the end of the corridor, illuminated signs bearing the international stick figure symbols for the restrooms guided him through a maze-like series of dividers displaying Italian drawings and hiding the restrooms from sight. Oh, and then he found the men's room door, and so he entered and turned on the lights, and the room was empty. Okay. All right, he made it to the bathroom. He somehow found a bathroom in a museum, which we all know is one of the hardest things you can do in a museum. Oh, the international stick figure symbols for bathroom. Like, oh my God. He could have just started the chapter with him in the bathroom already, but no. Oh, we've got the whole rundown. Maybe because he's a symbologist, he had to point out that there's a symbol that means bathroom. I don't know. So he's splashing some water on his face in the sink. And then the restroom door creaked open behind him and he spun. And there's Sophie Nouveau. Oh, she got the jump on Fash. She snuck past him. And she's like, thank God you came. We don't have much time. And we remember who Sophie is, right? Like it was just, you know, one chapter ago that we were talking to her and about her and with her. But no, all right, we got to get, oh, we got to get the reminder. Langdon stood beside the sinks, staring in bewilderment at DCPJ cryptographer, Sophie Niveau. All right, all right, we remember Sophie. Okay. She's a cryptographer, understood. So Robert's flashing back to the voicemail he just listened to, which was, do not react to this message. Just listen calmly. You are in danger right now. Follow my directions very closely. And so Robert was like, all right, sure. So Sophie had told him to say that there was an injured friend back home and that he needed to use the restroom and that it had to be the one at the end of the grand gallery. Oh, and Sophie stood before him now, still catching her breath after doubling back to the restroom. So she ran. I think she, I think she was waiting behind the Mona Lisa waiting for Fash to walk past. And then she ran to the grand gallery bathroom at the far end. And remember, because she's a woman, we need to hear about her features in painstaking detail. In the fluorescent lights, Langdon was surprised to see that her strong air actually radiated from unexpectedly soft features. Only her gaze was sharp and the juxtaposition conjured images of a multi-layered Renoir portrait veiled but distinct, with a boldness that somehow retained its shroud of mystery. Like, okay, is he talking about a woman or a cheese? Bold but distinct. Like, okay, she's a person. And also, none of what you just said has helped me visualize her. That means nothing. Her gaze was sharp, veiled but distinct, boldness, the shroud of mystery. What the fuck are you talking about? God, I remember the good old days when you'd just say, brown hair, green eyes. God, I miss that. I miss that. So she says, I wanted to warn you, Mr. Langdon, that you're under surveillance. And he's like, why? And she says, because Fash's primary suspect in this murder is you. And Langdon's like, well, (laughs) that's ridiculous. She's already told him this on the voicemail, by the way, but he wanted to hear it from her directly, even even though she did just leave a voicemail about it. He's like, I want to hear it from your face. Your soft distinct, veiled and shrouded with mystery, but a sharp gaze and a nice resonant tang to the cheese face. And Dan Brown's got to explain it again. According to Sophie, Langdon had been called to the Louvre, not as a symbologist, but rather a suspect, and was currently the unwitting target of one of DCPJ's favorite interrogation methods, 
Surveillance crachait. A deft deception in which the police calmly invited a suspect to a crime scene and interviewed him in hopes he would get nervous and mistakenly incriminate himself. And Sophie says, look in your jacket's left pocket. You'll find proof they are watching you. And he's like, what? My pocket? He says, it sounded like some kind of cheap magic trick. So he's just like not looking. And she's like, okay, just look. And he's like, bewildered. He's like, what does she mean? My pocket? The pocket of my jacket, my tweed jacket. And I'm like, what are you, Bilbo in the cave with Gollum? Just check your fucking pocket. And he says, I'm not finding anything in my pocket. Feeling around inside, he found nothing. And he goes, well, what the devil did you expect? He thinks to himself. And then he begins wondering if Sophie might be insane because there's nothing in his pocket. There's nothing in my tweed jacket pocket in my left pocket. I never even used that pocket. And then lo and behold, he finds something in the fucking pocket. He says, then his fingers brushed something unexpected. Okay, well, well, it's not unexpected because she told you to look for it. She said, you will find something in your pocket. And then he finds something in his pocket and he's like, well, that's a shock. That's unexpected. So then his fingers brushed something unexpected, small and hard. I tell you what, probably not the first time he's put his hand in his pocket and felt something small and hard, am I right? And then pinching the tiny object between his fingers, And I'm like, okay, probably not the first time he's put his hand in his pocket and pinched some tiny object. And then he pulled it out and stared in astonishment. Again, probably not the first time that that's happened. This is a very easily misconstrued chapter. He's pinching small and hard objects and pulling it out and staring at it in astonishment. Sounds like my Friday nights, am I right? So it was a metallic button shaped disc about the size of a watch battery. And he's like, what the? what's going on? And she's like, oh my God, it's a tracking dot. Like, I've just been trying to tell you that they're tracking you and it's a tracking dot. It's a GPS tracking dot. And he's like, and so she says, GPS, it's a global positioning system. All right, so we've got to get the definition of GPS. Were we all really that clueless back in 2003? I don't don't think we were. Listen to this over-explanation. GPS tracking dot. Continuously transmits its location to a global positioning system satellite that DCPJ can monitor. We use them to monitor people's locations. Like, <laughs> you just use monitor twice. And she says, the agent who picked you up at the hotel slipped it inside your pocket before you left your room. Okay, was she there? How is she so privy to all of this information? Like, I get there might be case notes on the computer system or some bullshit that she's tapping into at the Department of Cryptography. But like... She knows when and where he slipped it into his pocket. Seems like she knows too much. And then Langdon's flashing back. And I'm not using that as an expression this time. It actually says Langdon flashed back to the hotel room. That's how much Dan Brown loves a flashback. He's just saying, here's a flashy. And it's (laughs) when he was getting dressed after a shower and his shave and his shit. And the DCPJ agent had handed him the coat saying, oh, it's quite cold outside. And Langdon's like, oh God, what an idiot I am. She says, they tagged you with GPS because they thought you might run. In fact, they hoped you would run. It would make their case stronger. Where would he run to, babe, in the Grand Gallery? Like, we've just established that there's no way out. I mean, you apparently slipped past Fash. So, I mean, maybe there is a chance that he would run. And also, she wants him to run. She's eventually going to say, all right, well, let's, let's flee the crime scene and go investigate these clues. She's like, they hoped you would run. Oh, we can't run, but also let's just maybe escape arrest and flee. We won't run, we'll just flee. 
And so Langdon goes to throw the GPS tracking dot. That's a global positioning system tracker that monitors people. It helps them monitor people. Um, He throws that in the bin, which is like some sort of trash receptacle. And she says, no, no, leave it in your pocket. If you throw it out, the signal will stop moving and then they'll know you found the dot. She says, the dot stays with you, at least for the moment. And he's like, okay, but like, why do they think I killed him? And she says, well, there's a bit of evidence you don't know. And she says, do you recall the three lines of text that Sonia wrote on the floor? Like, like, yes, I think he does recall that since he just saw it. It's kind of what everyone's been talking about for the past 10 minutes. Like, yeah, he recalls. But also he's got that great photographic memory. And so he actually does recall. And she says, that wasn't the entire message. There was a fourth line and Fash photographed it and then wiped it clean before you arrived. And oh God. And I I guess Dan Brown thought we would be skeptical at that and that we'd want to fact check. So then he says, although Langdon knew the soluble ink of a watermark stylus could easily be wiped away, he could not imagine why Fash would erase evidence. It's like, okay, thank you for reminding us that invisible ink can be wiped away because it's soluble. God, the attention to details, too much. So she pulls out a photo from her sweater pocket, lots of pocket work happening. And I bet you're wondering, how does she have a photo of it? Well, she'll tell you. She says, Fash uploaded images of the crime scene to the cryptology department earlier tonight in hopes we could figure out what Sonia's message was trying to say. Like, yes, that's established. This is a photo of the complete message. And she hands it to him and he's bewildered again. The final line hit Langdon like a kick in the gut. So it's the discombobulated Fibonacci sequence, then O Draconian Devil, O Lame Saint, and P.S. Find Robert Langdon, and that's the end of the chapter. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Don't know why there's a new chapter because we pick up in that very second, in that very scene. And Langdon's staring at it going, postscript, postscript, P.S. Find Robert Langdon. He says he felt as if the floor were tilting beneath his feet. Sonier left a postscript with my name on it. We're saying postscript a lot. I think that's Dan Brown trying to make us go with the assumption that P.S. means postscript when really he's going to shock us and that it's going to mean something else ridiculous. And Sophie's like, well, there you go. So now you see why you're the suspect, right? And Langdon's like, oh my God, why would Sonia write this? What a stitch up. What a stitch up. Why would I want to kill him? That's crazy. And Sophie says, well, he hasn't found a motive yet, but he has been recording your entire conversation in the hopes that you might reveal one. And I'm like, okay, yep, that's explanation enough. Don't need to go into that further. But of course she does. She says, he's fitted with a miniature microphone. It's connected to a transmitter in his pocket, another pocket that radios the signal back to the command post. Okay. All right. We, we now know how microphones and transmitters work. And Langdon says, that's impossible. I have an alibi. I went directly back to my hotel after my lecture. You can ask the hotel desk. And Sophie says, Fash already did. Again, she's got all the info, all the intel. She says, his report shows you retrieving your room key from the concierge at about 1030. Unfortunately, the time of the murder was closer to 11. You easily could have left your hotel room unseen. Could he have? Do hotels have cameras with CCTV or are they doing the Louvre thing where it's all just fake cameras? And I don't know if, you know, you can get into the Louvre and into the Grand Gallery and kill someone in half an hour. I don't know, it'd be cutting it fine. And Langdon's like, oh my God, this is crazy. Fash doesn't even have any evidence. And Sophie's like, um... Your name's written on the floor next to the body. And also his date book says you were with him at the time of the murder. That kind of sounds like evidence. And he's like, oh my God, what? I didn't do this. And she says, ugh. She sighs. She goes, ugh. This is not American television, Mr. Langdon. In France, the laws protect the police, not criminals. Okay, I don't know why she's giving a little dig to like the American judicial system there, but, uh, but I guess she is. And she says, Sonia was a big deal in Paris and Fash is gonna want a suspect in custody already once the news breaks. And he's like, well, why are you telling me this then? And she says, because Mr. Langdon, I believe you are innocent. And also it's partially my fault that you're in trouble. And he goes, what? It's your fault that Sonia's trying to frame me. And she says, no, Sonia wasn't trying to frame you. It was a mistake. That message on the floor was meant for me. And he's like, what? She says, that message wasn't for the police. He wrote it for me. Okay, you just said that. I think he was forced to do everything in such a hurry that he just didn't realize how it would look to the police. Well, if you want to save time, don't write the Fibonacci sequence down backwards. She says, the numbered code is meaningless. Sonia wrote it to make sure the investigation included cryptographers, ensuring that I would know as soon as possible what had happened to him. 
I mean, he was in such a hurry, apparently, but he had all the time in the world to scribble out that code. And he could have just written, hey, Robert Langdon didn't kill me, but please, Sophie, go find him. I mean, he could have just done that, but whatever. And Langdon's like, why exactly do you think his message was for you? And she says, because of the Vitruvian man. Oh my God. That particular sketch has always been my favorite Da Vinci work. Tonight he used it to catch my attention. What the fuck does she mean by that? Like, I'm sorry. He drew a circle around his dead body and that catches her attention just because that's her favorite sketch. Spoiler alert, it's your granddad and he's dead in a brutal murder. And then he's arranged his body in a weird way and drawn a fucking pentacle on his chest and the Fibonacci sequence on the ground. And you're like, just not gonna notice that unless he draws the Vitruvian man as well. Like, oh, oh, the Vitruvian man caught my attention. Not your dead granddad, that didn't do the trick. Like how self-centered is she being like, oh, that's all that means. And like, she thinks that PS means her. So he wrote her initials and said, hey, Soph, PS, find Robert Langdon. But she still thinks the Vitruvian man's to do with her because that's what grabbed her attention, not her initials which by the way, are not PS, but we'll get to it. And Langdon's like, you're, you're fucking crazy, doll. He says, hold on. You're saying the curator, the curator, knew your favorite piece of art? And she's like, oh yeah, well, all right. This is all coming out of order, but I've got to tell ya. And then she breaks off. Her voice catches like she's about to cry. And Langdon, he like, I don't know. He thinks that her and Jacques Sunier fucked or something. He goes, Sophie and Jacques Sunier apparently had some kind of special relationship. Langdon studied the beautiful young woman before him, well aware that aging men in France often took young mistresses. Like what? Often? Is that a specific thing to France as well? Being like, oh, well, aging men in France, in France in particular, they often take young mistresses. Doesn't happen anywhere else, but in France, yes, it does happen. Often, actually. So he's just looking at her thinking that she's a sugar baby. And like, why is that your first thought and not granddaughter? Like that doesn't even come into his mind at all. And Sophie says, we had a falling out 10 years ago. We've barely spoken since. Tonight when Crypto got the call that he had been murdered, I saw the image of his body and the text on the floor and I realized he was trying to send me a message. And he's like, because of the Vitruvian man, he's like, you know, it's on mouse pads and t-shirts. It's the most famous sketch in the world apparently. So... I don't know why it's that special to you, Dal. And she goes, yeah, well, and the letters PS. And he goes, postscript. It's not postscript. She goes, no, PS are my initials. They're not. SN are her initials, but whatever. She says, PS is the nickname he called me when I lived with him. It stood for Princess Sophie. Okay, do you need to make an acronym out of your nickname? The nickname is already Princess Sophie or Princess. Why, why you got to shorten that to PS? And Langdon's like, what's this bitch on about? Meanwhile, Fash is probably thinking, what's Langdon doing in there? Is he doing a giant dump? And she goes, it's silly, I know, but it was years ago when I was a little girl. And he goes, ugh, you knew him when you were a little girl? Like he's still under the assumption that they were banging. And she goes, yeah, quite well, actually. Jacques Sunier was my grandfather, end of chapter. And he's like, what? I imagine that was the end of the chapter, so I don't know his reaction, but I bet he was like, what? I thought you were fucking. So then we go to chapter 14. It's another short one. And Fash is like, what's Langdon doing? And Lieutenant Colette, he says, he's still in the men's room. He's um taking his time. They're probably thinking he's constipated or something. 
And so the captain's eyeing the GPS dot, which stands for Global Positioning System. It's kind of, it's kind of like a global positioning system that they use to monitor people. It's really useful for like when you want to monitor people and 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 like track how people move, um, and just like monitor the movement of people according to like geographical positions in that system. And Fash is fighting the urge to go and check on him because he's like, well. Langdon has to feel comfortable. The more free he feels, the more he might slip. But he's like, you know, but it had been 10 minutes. That's a long time. And Fash says, oh, is there any chance that Langdon's onto us, you reckon? And Colette says, nah, we're still seeing small movements inside the men's room. So the GPS dot is obviously still on him. So the GPS dot, like what, what that refers to is it's like a global positioning system dot. It's, it's a tracker that helps the police track Langdon so they can see when he's moving. Because of the tracker dots in his pocket, his, his tweed jacket pocket. And, and then they can see that because it's a monitoring system. And so then Colette, he's thinking, what's with Fash? He seems a bit emotionally engaged, as if this is like a personal matter for him. And then Colette thinks, well, it's not surprising, really. And I'm like, oh, why? Because he hates the embassy? No, there's more backstory. Fash is just Captain Backstory at this point. So Colette, he thinks about how Fash needs this arrest desperately. Because recently, what does that mean? (sighs) Again with the recently. Recently, the board of ministers and the media had become more openly critical of Fash's aggressive tactics. His clashes with with foreign embassies, yep. And his gross over-budgeting on new technologies. Okay, so they're angry at him for like investing in new technologies. Tonight, a high-tech, high-profile arrest of an American would go a long way to silence Fash's critics. Oh, they think the GPS... Tracking dot is actually super high tech. Oh, that's kind of cute, isn't it? In a retro way. So tonight would go a long way to silence Fash's critics, helping him secure the top job a few more years until he could retire with a lucrative pension. The lucrative pension. All right. And then Colette thinks, God knows he needs the pension. Oh my God, we're getting so much backstory. So apparently Fash has some financial difficulties. And Colette thinks it's because of Fash's zeal for technology which had hurt him both professionally and personally. Fash was rumoured to have his entire savings in the technology craze and he lost his shirt. And Fash was a man who only wears the finest shirts. All right, so we lost a lot of money in the crypto game. I mean, I bought crypto at a bad time and lost some money too. Guys and girls, don't buy Bitcoin. Don't believe the hype. You're better off burying your money in your yard. Take a note from Fash. And then one of the DCPJ agents says, Captain, I think you better take this call. And Fash is like, who is it? And the agent says, it's the director of our cryptology department. Our cryptology department. How many other cryptology departments would be calling? And he goes, yeah, and? And the agent says, it's about Sophie Nouveau, sir. Something is not quite right. And that's the end of that chapter. God, I'd love to just settle in a chapter for a little bit. And then we go to chapter 15, which is another short one. Fuck me dead. All right, so it's Silas now. We're back with Silas. And Silas is saying, it's time. He's still trying to just enter that bloody church. I feel like he's been trying to enter that church for like three chapters now. He's not even facing any obstacles. He's just standing outside of the church thinking, I should enter the church and then thinking about his life. But anyway, all right, we're back at it. Okay, so (laughs) he's stepping out of the car. There's winds of change in the air, blah, blah, fucking blah. And he's also got his gun. And he doesn't want to bring the gun in because he says a weapon of death has no place in a house of God. Spoiler alert, he's going to go bash the nun's head in. Okay, how do you reconcile that one, Silas? 
Oh, I can't bring a gun into a place of God. I will bash a nun's head in though, but, but I draw the line at weaponry. So Dan Brown tells us, the plaza before the great church was deserted at this hour. And you're like, okay, so there's no one there. But then he continues in that same sentence to say, the only visible souls on the far side of Place Saint-Sulpice are a couple of teenage hookers showing their wares to the late night tourist traffic. Okay, okay, so it's not deserted. Not only do we have a couple of teenage hookers, we've also got tourist traffic. Sounds pretty busy to me. And also what's Dan Brown's obsession with teenage hookers? Weren't we just talking about teenage hookers a few minutes ago? But also how does Silas know that they're teenage? Like Silas, are you checking a birth certificate? You don't know how old they are, bud. But then Silas is looking at their nubile bodies and he feels a familiar longing in his loins and his thigh flexed instinctively, causing that little belt thingy that he wears to cut into his flesh, and then the lust evaporates instantly. And then he tells, oh God, more backstory. Oh my God, I thought we'd get a chapter without more fucking backstory. Okay, for 10 years now, Silas had faithfully denied himself all sexual indulgence, even self-administered. So he hasn't wanked in 10 years. That's, okay, we're burying the lead here. If you're writing a book and a character hasn't wanked in 10 years, I want to know that straight up. That's the first thing I want to know about that character. I don't care if he's got albinism. I don't care if he's a religious nut job. I don't care if he was in Spain in prison and then an earthquake happened and then he was caught in the bloody ensemble of a lay misproduction. I don't care about that. I want to know if he wanked or not. So he goes on about Opus Dei again. Oh, have you missed hearing about Opus Dei? So a vow of celibacy and the relinquishment of all personal assets hardly seemed to sacrifice considering the poverty which he'd come from, blah, blah, fucking blah, celibacy was a welcome change. But now that he's back in France, for the first time ever apparently since he was in prison, he could feel his homeland testing him, dragging violent memories from his redeemed soul. Dragging violent memories? You just killed people. Today. You killed Jacques Sonnier today. I wouldn't be that concerned about flashbacks from people you killed years ago when you killed someone today. Okay, so I have been talking about his hypocrisy, but he does mention it here. He goes, you have been reborn, he reminded himself. His service to God today had required the sin of murder and it was a sacrifice Silas knew he would have to hold silently in his heart for all eternity. Aw, when you put it like that, I feel sorry for the guy. Poor little Bubba had to sin. So then Silas walks towards the church entrance. We're still not in that fucking church. And he's like, oh my God, here it comes. Ah, we're going to find the keystone. It will lead us to our final goal. Fuck yeah, it's going to be so freaking good. And so he raised his ghost white fist and banged the door three times. Okay, do we need to know that it's a ghost white fist? We know. We know. He's he's got white skin. (sighs) Established. Alright, he raises his ghost white fist, bangs on the door, and then moments later, the door opens, and that's the end of the chapter. Okay, the cliffhangers are getting worse and worse, aren't they? We had a couple of good ones just then. I was his granddaughter. (gasps) End of chapter. That's the cryptography department, our cryptography department. Sophie Niveau's lying to you. (gasps) That's a good cliffhanger. He knocked on the door, and the door opened. Suspense there. I'm I'm sorry, I don't know why we had to cut that chapter short, but okay. Let's leave that there. That's five chapters done and dusted. As always, let me know your thoughts, opinions, questions, concerns about the book, not about the podcast itself. Unless you have nice things to say, then put it in a review. And if you want to go over to Patreon, go to patreon.com slash breaking down bad books and sign up for the bonus content. 
New episodes every Friday breaking down the Maze Runner. And I'll see you guys next week for more of Silas knocking on doors. You better not do 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 Onward. Send your burning thoughts, frustrations, and grievances on this latest chapter of this shitty book to breakingdownpod at gmail.com or on Twitter at podbreakingdown and Instagram at breakingdownbadbooks. You can visit www.breakingdownbadbooks.com for all the listen links, contact information, merch, and more. To support the show on Patreon and gain access to exclusive ad-free bonus episodes, visit patreon.com slash breakingdownbadbooks. Ratings and reviews on your preferred podcast platform are also a fun, free way to support the show. Breaking Down Bad Books is hosted by me, Nathan Brown, who you can follow on Instagram and Twitter at NathanBrown90. Thanks for listening and happy reading. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50 luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.